For those of you watching, we've been in a series through the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossian church. This is the final chapter tonight, and we're going to land this plane tonight, but I believe God's going to encourage you and teach you a thing or two about relationships. How many of you would say, I want my relationships to be stronger, my marriage to be stronger? Last week we talked about the home in my message titled Help. I encourage those of you watching online that weren't here to go uh, to iTunes and download that podcast and listen to last week. In fact, listen to all of them. But this week we're going to be talking about Paul's farewell address and his final words. And there's some things that he values in these final words that you need to know that I need to know. And these are some things I think uh, will give you the momentum and the spirit fuel that you need in the middle of your week. Amen? And it's raining here. Amen? So that's the sound of the harvest for me. So y'all are stuck here. So I'm going to teach a while, preach some, teach again, and preach a while. So we just going to get with it till the rain stops. But uh, Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. We finished with verse 1 last week. Colossians chapter 4 beginning with verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Everybody say prayer. Being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. If there's one thing I would ask you to pray for me and for Ivis House and for Ronnie Phillips Ministries International is that God would open a door for our message. Every time I write a partner letter, I just wrote my March partner letter to my partners. You say, what are your partners? These are the people who believe in the mission work we do, the message of grace, our media efforts, our television efforts, and they partner with me every month, some $10, some more than that, but they pay the bills to get the gospel out. And I always ask them if they would pray for God to open a door for our message because I think what we have here is unique. Amen. I think grace, authentic grace, is unique. I think a church that restores people and doesn't throw them away is a unique place of grace that God's hand is on. Okay? God's hand's on this place, and I believe God will open a door for our message if we pray the way He tells us to pray so that God may open a door for our message so that we, everybody say us, the body, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Why would a man submit his life to death for the gospel? Because it's real. Because he'd received the power of the Holy Spirit. He'd had an encounter with Jesus. You know, Jesus is worth living for, but he's also worth dying for. And Paul says, for which I am in change, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Listen with your spiritual ears tonight. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. People outside of the faith, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay, and then I'm going to fast forward and give you an overview because I'm going to go deep into the verses in just a little bit. Now Paul's introducing you to his cohorts, to his co-laborers, to the people who have helped him preach the gospel. He gives an overview, and I just want to list a few of these names, and we're going to dive into them later. First, he talks about... 
Tychicus. And next, he talks about Onesimus, who is a runaway slave. He talks about his fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. He talks about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who was a product of restoration. He talks about um, many, many others. He talks about his churches. He talks about Luke, the doctor, the physician, not the great physician, but Luke, great author, great physician. Demos is one he mentions, and his brothers and sisters at Laodicea, Nympha, and others. He talks about his partners. He talks about Archippus there at the close. So he mentions a number of friends, co-laborers, cohorts that have helped him along the way. Aren't you thankful for people that have helped you along the way? Amen. Yeah. Nothing just happens and nobody gets to a place by themselves. Everybody that's ever been anywhere had help getting there. And anybody that says otherwise is dealing with the spirit of pride. God has blessed you if you got up this morning. If you have breath in your lungs, you are blessed. Amen. If you live in the United States of America, you are blessed. You are in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in all the world. And we as Americans, we complain, but God has blessed us. Amen. And God has strategically placed people in your path to help you get to where he wants you to get to. Sometimes we ignore the signs. Sometimes we ignore the people. Sometimes we go our own way. But make no mistake about it, God has sent you certain people throughout your life to help you, encourage you, teach you, love you, and, and walk you through difficult times. That's what the church ought to be. So, first, I want to talk to you about keep on keeping on. How do we keep on keeping on? How do we stay in the fight, in the race, in the fight? Number one, our character must be prayerful. Our character must be prayerful. The best advice I've ever gotten is to spend some time alone in prayer with God. When you spend time with God, the things that bother you won't bother you as much. When you spend time in intimacy with God, your problems get smaller and His majesty gets bigger. When you spend time in prayer with God, you'll go places, hear things, learn things, and speak things that haven't been spoken before in your life. God will give you new revelation. Yes, it won't be new as far as the Scripture. It'll be confirmed in Scripture, but it'll be new for you. God will show you and reveal Himself in a new way to you if you'll learn to get in the secret place. And that's what it says, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. Paul has talked to him about all these things, and he, he lands here. He says, listen, be prayerful. And so I want to challenge you first, pray continually. Pray continually. What does that mean? It's intercession. Never stop. It's constant communication in the secret place with the Father. It can be your worship. It can be your upper room. It can be the place where you let things go, where you forgive, where you cry. You need a prayer closet, and you need a time of intercession, and that's praying on behalf of someone else that most of the time can't pray for themselves. I have four intercessors, and one of them's in here tonight, and she knows who she is, but they're assigned the responsibility of praying for me all the time. One, because I need it, amen. You may not need it, I need it. 
And they pray for me, they pray for my wife, they pray for my family, they pray for my health, they pray for the church, and they pray for me, and they get fresh revelation from the Lord, and they will email it to me, and it encourages me. Amen? I don't want a negative word. If they get that or some crazy dream, then they can keep that to themselves. I want to be encouraged, and I don't want to be scared half to death. And so I keep it to encouragement. If they get a word or a crazy dream about me, I, I've told them, keep those things to yourself. I don't really know, want to know when I'm dying, amen? I want to know how I'm living, all right? But pray continually. Intercession, it's an important thing. Jesus is making intercession for us right now. He sits at the right hand of the Father, amen? He lives to make intercession for us. It is important. We are to pray together. We are to pray for one another. Let's talk about a few other applications, okay? We've got intercession. Let's talk about supplication. Supplication is the ask and the expect. The ask and the expect. This is the year in the Hebrew calendar where what you speak is what you'll have. Based on Hebrew numerology, this is the year where what you speak is what you have. That's why you got to be careful what you say this year. What you speak is what you'll have. That's why you hear me speaking things about our campus and our growth, and I'm trying to speak things into your spirit because I want your spirit and your mind to grab hold of the vision because once you get hold of the vision and we lock arms and we walk towards the vision together, God's spirit will be poured out. Amen? We've got to do this thing together. But supplication is when you ask God for something and you expect Him to provide it. It's faith praying. Prayer does no good if deep down you don't believe God can do it. It's just a religious ritual. Amen? When you pray, you've got to pray that God will do it. Even if people think you're crazy. You've got to believe God will do it. And when he does, you just look at people and point at them. Because it proves that God is who he said he was and that he can do what he said he can do. And the more times God comes through for you, the more people will stop doubting you and you will build the faith of others watching your journey with God. People are watching how you speak and how you live. Intercession, supplication, and thanksgiving. Y'all know what thanksgiving is. It's simply being thankful for what you have. Not what you don't have, being thankful for what God has given you. You know, in church, especially in the United States of America, we're not thankful. We're not thankful for what we have. We're not thankful for the opportunities God's given us, for His saving grace, for giving us another chance, for His blood, for our relationships. You know, there's someone right now in an emergency room in this city and in every city all over the world praying for God to save their loved one. All over the world, right now, there's someone, and we're here tonight, together, alive. We should be thankful for the, mo the moments like this we have together, because eventually, w we will be in the struggle, and we will be in transition, and we'll be experiencing loss. I've said this many times, you're either going into a storm in the midst of one, or you just came through one. So when you happen to be in the presence of the Lord, hearing the Word of God, with God's people, you need to be thankful. Be thankful for what you have, not what you don't have. Pray continually, Paul says here, and then pray watchfully. What does that mean? This is not just about your talking. This is about your listening. It's one thing to talk to God. It's another thing to listen for God to answer. Some of you have never heard the voice of God because you've never been quiet long enough to hear him. 
Sometimes you pray, God knows what you want already. He even knows what you need. Intimacy is about not only you praying, but Him speaking to you. And sometimes you have to get into a quiet place to hear from God. I've met Christians, all they want to do is talk about revival this and revival that and revival this. Let me tell you, revival starts within you. Revival starts when you learn to zip it and listen to God. When we start listening to God, that's when He will move. But we need to pray. Proverbs 8, verse 33 says, Hear instruction and be wise. Okay? Hear from God, but don't be stupid. Amen. I, I'm a word of faith, spirit-filled guy, okay? But I also like to use common sense, okay? Yes, I believe God protects. I believe God heals. But I'm still using hand sanitizer every day with this virus going around. I think you have to use both. I think you have to use good medicine. And listen, hear instruction, be wise, refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me. Watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For he who finds me finds what? Finds life. Finds life and shall obtain favor from the Lord. When you find intimacy with God, you find favor. When you find God, you find peace. When you find God, you find joy. When you seek him, you will find him. When you knock, he'll open. He will answer you when you call upon his name. That's the God I serve. Pray continually, pray watchfully, pray thankfully. Be thankful for what God has done. Next, pray evangelistically. Pray that God will open up a door. We're talking about who's your one. That's our emphasis. We're talking about how to have more. Pray that God would open up a door for you. And He will. You'll see the person that needs compassion, that needs love, that needs a leg up, that needs help the Holy Spirit will direct you to them. And you can go to them, and you can build them up, and you can share the gospel with them, and they'll get saved, and it's not going to be like lifting weights, and it's not going to be a strain. When you trust God to open the door for the gospel message, He will do it. So when you pray, pray evangelistically. God, open a door for the message. God, open up a door for ministry. You don't need a job to do ministry. You don't need a title to do ministry. You don't even need a church to do ministry. You just need a willing spirit and to do it and be a willing vessel. And God will use anyone that wants to be used. Amen? There is no pecking order in God's kingdom. So, yes, our character must be prayerful. Number two, our conduct must be careful. Our conduct must be careful. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders making the most of every opportunity. Not everybody needs to be in your circle. I'm going to say that again for the amen corner. Not everybody needs to be in your inner circle. Jesus had uh, 12, but he had three. He had an inner circle. Not everybody needs to make it into your inner circle. There are some people that you can't trust, and there are some people that aren't mature enough to know you and go with you. That's just the way it is. It's not that you're better. It's not that you think you're better. It's that not everybody needs to know your weaknesses. Not everybody needs to know your struggles. Don't trust everybody with your information. Don't trust everybody. You have to be wise 
towards outsiders. Why? Because in being vulnerable with them, if you're vulnerable with someone that's spiritually immature, you're going to affect their faith negatively, and you're going to do what Paul said not to do, and you're going to be a stumbling block, and you're going to hinder them from becoming like Jesus. No one wants to admit this, but the reality is sometimes you are not the one to reach the one. Your job is to love them, and it's someone else's job to reach them. And there are times where you need to understand that you need to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Not everybody that came with you is going to go with you, and not everybody deserves your intimacy. What does it say in Proverbs 4? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. See, I'm blessed with this because I was raised in religion and I've seen the bad of it and I've seen how ugly church people can be and how awful they can be so I'm a walking discernment tool to put it nicely and sometimes I have to check myself because my discernment can transition over into judgmentalism and I become a judgmental person which I'm not but I discern because when I see things that makes my spirit uncomfortable, I have to stay away from it. We don't ever want to be the kind of person that people walking with the Lord wants to stay away from. If you're negative all the time, people don't, people don't want to be around that. If you're speaking death into the atmosphere, people that are walking with Jesus don't want to be around that. If everything, every time someone talks to you, it's gossip and drama and negativity, people don't want to be around that. They have to guard their heart because what you let in is going to affect you. It's like anything else. You put bad chemicals in you, it will affect you. You put bad food in you, it will affect you. You put germs in you, it will affect you. You listen to people's nonsense long enough, it will affect you. It will affect you. Our conduct must be careful. We must be careful about our testimony. We must be careful of our time. We must put on the full armor of God and understand that no weapon formed against us can prosper. You have an armor that you can put on that protects you from everything. So I say before we leave tonight, let's just pray down the armor on this house and on everybody so that we're not walking around in fear, amen, so that we're walking in the Holy Ghost. We're not worried about a virus. We're not worried about anything. You know, there are things that can happen every single day that can absolutely destroy us. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have a hero within. His name is Jesus. And I'm telling you, I'm not worried about anything. I don't fear any man because Jesus is with me. If you have the hero within, you're not to live in fear, worried about tomorrow and worried about the next day. God will be with you. Amen. Do you know him tonight? Just worship him if you know him in the house tonight. Just give Jesus a shout tonight. If you know him, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Number three, our conversation must be graceful. Isn't that what it says? Verse six, Colossians chapter four, let your conversation always be full of grace. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? Let your conversation always be full of grace. There's the word right there. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer 
everyone. I don't always get this right. I come from a long line of Phillips, you know what I mean? Um, I, I have a, a, a tendency to want to correct stupid things. Um, but here's what I understand. Whenever I respond in grace to something negative, God gets the glory and I get the peace. I've corrected people and been right, but it hadn't worked. But when you respond with grace, God shows up every time. This is how we communicate with other people. Our hearts and our attitudes and our words ought to reflect the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be willing to tell people what God has done for us. We ought to be willing to tell people about God's grace. Aren't you thankful for His grace? Aren't you thankful we're a house of grace? Aren't you thankful you're a house of grace? Aren't you thankful it's for, for it is by grace we've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast? It's not about how good you are, it's about how good God is. Aren't you thankful that because of God's grace, He restores? Yes. He restores. He restores. He doesn't throw you away. You make a mistake, he restores you. Amen? Amen. He restores you, gives you a second chance. You know, religious people want to stone you. God wants to restore you. God wants to restore you. He wants to put you back together again. But guess what? That can't happen until you're honest and you're vulnerable. And for some of you and for some of us, we have to be broken down completely. Before he can put us back together. I pray that's not you if you're listening, if you're watching. I pray you'll be willing for God to go ahead and breathe life into you now and put you back together now before you completely fall apart. I pray you don't have to be at the bottom of the bottom like I was 15 years ago. I pray God will get your attention before you go down that low. Amen? Because he's speaking and he's preordained your path, you just have to get in on it and be willing to listen to God, obey him, and you have to be willing to walk with him. So our prayer and our character and our conversation, number four, our cohorts must be purposeful. Check this out. Paul mentions his cohorts in these six verses. I mentioned them to you at the beginning of my introduction. We talked about the different people that Paul mentioned. I want you to listen to the descriptions of these people and tell me if you have any of these kinds of people in your life. All from different backgrounds. They all possess different gifts, different characteristics. They were all different, but Paul needed them, and God used them to strengthen his journey to martyrdom. And I want you to think about your life in Christ and the people God's used to help you along the way. First, Tychicus. I'm going to call Tychicus the risk-taking partner. Everybody say risk-taker. He risked his life as a courier for Paul. Went through dangerous terrain so that his message would get to where it needed to get. He was willing to die for the man God had called him to. How many of you have risk takers in your life? How many of you have people in your life willing to die for the call of God or for God's call on your life? Tychicus was a risk-taking 
partner. He was willing to take Paul's letters where they needed to go at the risk of his own life. If they would have found him, they would have killed him. And you need in your life, in relationships, I always talk about soulmates, cellmates, and teammates, but let's expound on that a little bit. You need some risk takers. You need some people that believe in you enough to sow into you. Believe in you enough to move beyond praying for you to walking with you. Amen? Not just people that say, hey, you can do it one day. They grab your hand and say, hey, let me do this with you. Let's do it together. That's a risk-taking partner. It's real easy to tell somebody, yeah, you can do it. Get on with your bad self. But it's much more difficult to say, hey, let me walk with you in this till we get to where God wants us to go. Tychicus. Then Onesimus. You've heard of the epistle Philemon about the runaway slave that God restores. I've preached a whole series on that in the past. But I'm going to call him the reconciling partner. This is someone who is for reconciliation. This is someone that will tell you when you need to reconcile with someone. Where relationships been broken, this is when someone would say, Hey, Mama T, you need to get right with this person. There's been a breach. You need to go make restitution with your sister or your brother, and you need to make this relationship right. I hope you have somebody in your life that's for reconciliation, that loves you enough to say, hey, you need to go get right with that person. Hey, you could have handled that better. If you don't have somebody in your life that can say, hey, let's be for reconciliation, then you're missing God's plan for your life. You need to have someone who can confront you in love and lead you to reconciliation. Amen? And then he mentions Aristarchus. I call him the persevering partner. He had stuck by Paul's side through thick and thin, and he never quit on the relationship. You need someone in your life that's never going to quit on you. Some of you have had parents quit on you, friends quit on you, employees, employers quit on you. You've had wives and husbands quit on you. You've had everybody quit on you, but Jesus won't. And there are some people in your life that God wants to put in your life that won't quit on you. That when everybody else runs away from you, they'll run towards you. These are the kinds of people you need in your life. Amen? Persevering partners, reconciling partners, risk-taking partners... And then you need trophies of grace in your life. You need restored partners. It mentions Mark. You know, Mark had failed in his first missionary journey. They'd cast him off to the side, but now he was a product of restoration. And he was now serving the Lord faithfully. Basically, I look at this as like a pastor who's had a major failure or even a minor failure that people have pushed away and badmouthed, but now. He's brought back into the fold and he's serving God as a trophy of grace. I don't know about you, but I think it's important to have surrounding me some trophies of grace because I am a trophy of grace, number one. We all are, number one. But two, it's important that people can see the finished result of restoration. 
It's one thing to preach restoration and talk about it. It's another thing to gently walk a church through it or walk a board through it or walk a family through it. When people see the finished product of restoration, it ought to lift their spirits to the degree that they want to be a part of future restorations. They want to be a part of marriages coming back together. They want to be part of churches not splitting and staying together. They want to be a part of something bigger that brings people together and doesn't divide them. Amen? Don't we have enough division in this country? Can't we get back to restoration? And Mark was a restored partner, a trophy of grace. It also mentions in those six verses, justice gives his regards. Jesus, a.k.a. justice, not our Savior Jesus, but justice, the encouraging partner. This is the kind of person who simply in your life to encourage you. Paul had Barnabas, I have bigs, you have a lot of people, amen. You need someone who just brings a smile to your face and who even when you blow it tells you you can do it, that tells you that it's going to be okay, that brings some happiness into your life, that encourages you. You need some encouragers in your life. Some of you have got the spirit of discouragement. Every time people see you coming, they won't do this because they're afraid what negative you're going to put in your mouth, you know. Nobody wants to hear that. You need some encouragement in your life. People say, Pastor Ronnie, you know, on Sundays you're, you're, you're encouraging. Yeah, I am. I mean, people have enough doom and gloom in their life. I'm biblical and doctrinal, but I'm encouraging. I, I, I believe what he said was good news. Amen. Preach the good news. Amen. I, I know how this thing ends and we win. I don't, I don't want to live in fear and doom and gloom all the time. Amen. And you need some people in your life that will encourage you. And then the pastor of this church, who, uh, um, this Colossian church, Epaphras, I've told you about in past messages. This was the praying partner. This was one that knew how to pray, what we've already talked about. He knew how to get in a secret place. He didn't have four degrees from seminary. He wasn't the most well-spoken. And he had drama all in his church, but he knew how to pray. Amen. I promise you, if you can figure out how to pray, the rest of it will come. He was a praying man. And then, let me get to this. Luke. Luke. Luke joined Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey at Troy. Many scholars believe that Paul's first missionary journey, he contracted malaria. You've heard me preach about the thorn in his flesh. They didn't know if it was his looks, if it was some kind of uh, new, uh, rheumatic fever or what it was. Many believe it was malaria and it caused him to have seizures and have jaundice in his eyes. That was the thorn in the flesh. But if you remember, Paul says, I asked him to take it from me three times and he said no my grace is sufficient for you but on that second missionary journey Paul met a doctor named Luke who wrote the book of Luke helped with Acts and I believe it was medicine that helped Paul continue in the journey so some of you super spirituals that think it's a sin to go to the doctor read your Bible a doctor wrote some of it and he walked in medicine as well as the supernatural. God will use medicine too. And he used skilled people to bring about healing. And that's what happened in Paul's life. He says in his letter to the Galatians that it was because of infirmity that he had come to them. And that insinuates that there had been something disturbing about him. 
He consulted with Luke, a Greek physician, about his condition. And he won the doctor to Jesus. Amen? Who's your one? Who's your one? I was talking to my friend Chris McDaniel today. We were talking about some things. I've written a song, and I'm making him uh, write a melody and a tune to it because I can write, but I can't sing or play music. So I need somebody with that gift to help me do it. And... Uh, I'm writing it. I believe God's going to use that song. He gave it to me in the middle of the night. Um, I believe it's a bestseller. I'm telling you, I'm speaking it. I believe God's going to use it to bless me in this church. And so Chris is at the doctor receiving therapy and puts me on speakerphone and makes me pray for the doctor in the doctor's office. And so that's what I did today. And I thought about my message tonight about how Paul led Luke to Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? That God can use anybody to share the gospel. And I believe God will use you. But Luke was highly educated. He was a writer, a researcher, wrote the gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, uh, traveled with Paul. And, and he's someone that had special skills. You need people in your life that are smarter than you. No, and some people are so insecure they don't want anybody that has a stronger gift than them around them. That's not the way God's called us to function. You need people who are strong where you're weak if you're going to be what God's called you to do. If you're going to be who God's called you to be and do what he's called you to do, you need people with other gifts around you. So when you start falling, they lift you up. Amen. You should always have someone in your life that challenges the way you think and that challenges you to get better. And that's what Luke was to Paul. Amen? And that's what you need. He was the skilled partner. And then Demos was the tenuous partner. Paul has something good to say about everybody in these six verses. All of his cohorts, all of his homies, as I would say back in my day, all of his brothers and friends and congregation. He has something positive to say about all of them. But then you get to this guy, Demas. And nothing at all to say about Demas other than he sends his greetings. He's bragging on everybody, but then he says, and here's Demas, he sends his greeting. Paul references him as a fellow worker in the book of Philemon. But the only other mention of him is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, where we read these sad words. Listen to this. If we have it, put it up, please. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Demas, having loved... This present world has deserted me. Isn't that terrible? Having loved this world, he's left me. How many of you know somebody like that? They started off on the right track, fell in love with the things of this world and deserted you. Left you. Abandoned you. Walked away from you. That's what Paul experienced. Now, he was back serving, but all we really know of him is that he was inconsistent and that when the going got tough, he got going. 
Don't be that kind of person. And don't surround yourself with those kinds of people. That when, the, when it gets tough, they get going. You need people who are going to stick with you when times are tough. People are going to stay with you when times get bad. When the, your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will lift you up. You need people that are going to stick with you that know your faults. Amen. People that are going to stick with you when it doesn't look like you're worth sticking with. Amen. You need some soulmates in your life. You need some Jonathans and Davids and some Ruths and Naomi's and some Paul and Timothy's. You need some power of agreement in your life where things come together and the power of God moves. I don't know about you, but I get tired of people jumping from thing to thing in relationship to relationship, amen? That's why I do keep my circle small, amen? Because I've seen enough religious wannabes in one lifetime to make me want to vomit. i just be honest with you. Uh, being close with me is overrated anyways, amen? You don't want to be close with me, do they, Jim? When the anointing's gone, I'm not a great person, okay? When the anointing's on me, you love me. You don't want to see me when it goes. It takes some great patience to put up with me when the anointing's not on me, amen? Uh, because I'm a human being, amen? I'm a natural. I become supernatural when God comes on me. Other than that, I'm just a normal dude, okay? I have bad days, and you have bad days, and... People say, I want to be friends with you. No, you do not want to be friends with me. You want me to be your pastor. That's two different things, okay? Um, but I'm telling you, you need some people in your life that aren't going to leave you when times get tough. You need to develop some relationships that are for the long haul, amen? Some of you, I'm not beating you up. We live in a culture where 60% of the people are divorced. I'm not beating you up. Trust me, I'm a grace guy. But at some point, you've got to make up your mind. The next covenant you enter into needs to be for good. The next relationship you enter into needs to be for good. The next church relationship you enter into needs to be for good. Not everybody shout me down at once. But the next time, God will forgive you and restore you. But at some point, you've got to learn how to stick with something. Amen. Maybe you didn't stick with it in the past. But now learn how to make a commitment and stick that thing out. Next, it mentions Nympha, the hospitable partner in verse 15. The churches in the first century met in people's homes. That's why I'm a big fan over the next 10 years of moving towards a home group model. Yes, having some Sunday morning groups for our senior adults and for our children, but moving towards a community model where we don't have to come to a facility to do community because community is what goes on out there. And so we've taught it that churches, let's come here and have community. But Jesus teaches it, let's come here and get filled up and go do community. And so at some point, we've got to transition from what we're doing in the next five, ten years into where it's the, the focus is not all about what we're doing here. It's what we're building and growing out there. We come here to get filled up, and we come here because we have an awesome campus that God's given us. But at some point, we have to understand what community looks like. It's unity with the common man. And we have uncommon faith that takes us to the common man, and we build unity out there. And we find purpose out there. Everything we do here should be leading us to someone out there. Amen? And so that's what you have. Nympha was a hospitable person who often took care of Paul. He had a large home and he would accommodate him. And Paul spent many a good nights and ate good meals to strengthen himself 
because of this relationship. You know, a lot of females, and this was a female, had this gift. You know, and it's not just a gift for females, but many females have the gift of hospitality. They, they love people to come in and serve. It's their gift. And so allow people to serve you. Amen. It used to make me uncomfortable. People wanted to do something for me, wanted to serve me. Uh, I didn't feel worthy of it. I'd act weird about it. And then I finally learned that that's their way of blessing the Lord. And I need to not get in the way of that and let people do what God's calling them to do. Number five, and I close here. Our call must be fruitful. Who else did Paul mention? He mentioned all of those cohorts, men and women, but he also mentioned fellow churches and cooperative partners. Um, cooperating partners. Listen, um, I'm not going to stay here for a long time, um, but there wasn't a spirit of competition in the early church. It wasn't, I, my church needs to be better than this church, or my preacher is better than this preacher, or all of that. And we're all competitive in nature, especially in the South, but it comes down to what God has called each body to be and to do. The reason I have remained a Baptist is because I believe in this doctrine, the autonomy of the church. I believe the church governs itself under the authority of the pastor with the leadership. I don't believe a local church, everybody say us, wave your hands and make sure you're up, I'm almost done. I don't believe a local church should be dictated to or governed to by bishops or men. I believe God calls a pastor to a church. The people support the leadership of the pastor. There is accountability for the pastor. There's, there's councils, trustees, elders, whatever, deacons. It depends on what the church government is. But the bottom line is the church governs itself under the authority of God. I don't believe someone from four hours away should get to pick your pastor. I, I believe that the church should govern itself according to the Word of God. And then, not only fellow churches and cooperating partners, honestly, this has to do with generosity, too. You know, it's one thing to say, I love my church. It's another thing to show up with your tithe. You know, to show up being faithful, to show up to serve. We need those things. And then he mentions Archippus. And this is the called partner. Paul includes these challenges. And, he, and I don't know if, if Archippus was perhaps called to be the next pastor of this church at Colossae because Epaphras was not there and they needed someone to lead until he could get back, if he got back. And so it could be that he's about to step into the role of leader at this church. And that's why Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, after this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it, listen to this, that you complete the good work you have received in the Lord. So Paul's saying, listen, see to it that you stand in your anointing, you stand in your calling, and you finish the work that I've called you to. Basically, this is a word of encouragement saying you can finish, you will finish, you're going to be able to do what God's called you to do, stand strong and do what I've called you to do. And then he goes on to say, as he did many times, I, Paul, write 
this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. So, our character must be prayerful. Our conduct must be careful. Our conversations must be graceful. Our cohorts must not be forgotten. And our call must be fulfilled. And I'll take that a step further. It will be fulfilled. If God has called you to it, he'll see you through it. Amen. Bow your head and close your eyes tonight. I want to pray over you about your calling tonight. I believe God has a supernatural call for every person watching and listening. And you've been scared to follow it. You've been scared to walk in your anointing. But I want to tell you that God has great plans for you. God is not finished with you yet. God's going to use you. God will save you. God will fill you. And under the sound of my voice, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you just need to say, Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart. Save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. I believe you sent your son for me, and I received this free gift of grace. I confess you as my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, you've been born again. But many in here are saved, and many watching tonight, you're already saved. You're a Christian. And we talked about your conduct and your character and your cohorts and your completion of your duties that God has called you to. What you need tonight is faith. Faith is believing in that which you can't see. Faith means to step out when you don't know what you're stepping on. Faith is to believe that money's coming even when you don't see it in front of you. Faith is believing in that which you can't see. It comes by hearing and by the word of the Lord. And you not only need faith tonight in this culture that we're living in with the spread of a virus and a divided country politically and all of these things going on. You need faith over fear. You need strength, but you need the armor of God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'll just put your hands up in a place to receive tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray for the people of God tonight watching in the house, watching online. I pray for your divine and supernatural protection. Lord, I don't believe you want any of your people to perish. I believe you're a good God. And so, Lord, we ask you to protect your people, not just in this region, but in every region. Lord, send your spirit to protect your people. Father God, we pray for good medicine. We're thankful for it. But we believe, Lord, that greater is you that is in us than, you, than is he that is in the world. So, Lord, we just are thankful for your grace tonight. And so, Lord, we put on your armor tonight that we may stand against the wiles of the devil. We know we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And Satan, you're a liar, a murderer, you're a thief. You have no legal standing in this place or over God's people. And by the blood of Jesus, we command you to leave. And so right now we put on the whole armor of God. We put on all of it. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shod for our feet, the preparation of the gospel of peace, 
the shield of faith. Glory be to God that quenches all the fiery darts. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And we are committed, Lord, to praying, to intercession, to supplication, to thanksgiving, Lord. We are committed to what you've called us to. And Lord, with our helmet on, saved, full of the Holy Ghost, and all of the other, the sword of the Lord, the Word, Lord, we are marching forward in your armor, and we are believing for our healing tonight. Lord, we just declare that we will live and not die. Lord, that your plans are so much bigger than ours. So, Lord, I pray that God's people would go in strength tonight, strength, fire, passion, and full of the Holy Ghost with the right spirit, the right conduct, the right character, the right cohorts around them, that they might complete the work that is in front of them. And they might do it with a prayerful spirit and a graceful spirit. For thine is your kingdom, Father, your power and your glory forever and ever. 